the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. He says, if you join yourself to me, you will find that it will not be a miserable experience. It will be a restful experience. Because when you are connected and harnessed and yoked with Jesus, you will find rest for your souls. There's nothing like being harnessed with the Lord and allow Him to lead, allow Him to teach, allow Him to guide, to direct our lives, and we will find the great measure of rest that comes from being yoked with Jesus. In life, we grow up learning to fight for ourselves. We learn to take what we want and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps when we don't get it. This isn't the way it has to be. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to give your burdens to the Lord. Let Him share the load. The Bible says that His yoke is light and that joining oneself to the Lord is a restful and joyful experience. What an incredible feeling it is to know that God is working for our good in our circumstances. He's always willing to help. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So of all people on the planet during that time who should have been convicted and moved to repentance because they should have been awestruck by the mighty miracles of Jesus, instead, they weren't. And because of that, Jesus says they'll be accountable. He says, if the miracles that were performed in Chorazin and Bethsaida had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which were heathen cities in the day, he said those people would have repented. It'll be better for the people of Tyre and Sidon than it will be for the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he adds also about Capernaum, his home base. He says, woe to you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted up to the skies? You think you're going to be lifted up to heaven? The people of that day who witnessed more miracles of Jesus than any other people? He says, no, it's, it's going to be better for the people of Sodom. And how many times do we think about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis and kind of write them off as the most evil, wicked people? Jesus actually says, not as wicked as the people of Capernaum, comparatively speaking, when you consider the fact that more miracles were performed for the people of Capernaum and they did not repent. Had the people of Sodom and Gomorrah seen the mighty hand of God in such a way that the people of Capernaum did, they would have repented and it would be better for them. And Jesus even adds, it'll be better for the people of Sodom on the day of judgment than for the people of Capernaum in the day when they beheld all these miracles of Jesus. Now, this is one of the spots when we go to Israel and we stop at Capernaum. It's just ancient ruins today. 
We don't go to Chorazin and Bethsaida typically. I've taken some groups there depending on the, the travel and the, and the trip and the day and where we are and the timing. But I will tell you this, Chorazin and Bethsaida are also just ruins. Nothing there today. The indictment of Jesus is evidenced by the fact these three towns are completely barren today. No life, just ruins. People who beheld the greatest miracles of our Savior, and yet they did not repent. Jesus says it'll be better for the sinners of Tyre and Sidon, it'll be better for the sinners of Sodom, and for those of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Very amazing. What is the Lord doing in your own life that sometimes you might overlook? Do we have eyes to see the mighty ways that God is at, is at work in our lives? Don't dismiss the great and the little ways that God will do his wonderful things in your life. Let it be a constant reminder of his goodness and his grace towards you. And don't ever neglect giving him praise and worship for the many ways that he is at work. Well, in verse 26, Jesus said, verse 25, rather, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Look, Jesus is saying, some people are just too smart for their own good, that they can't accept Jesus by faith, because in order to accept Jesus, you have to humble yourself like a little child. And some people intellectually have eliminated themselves by virtue of the fact that they would rather rely on their own intelligence than to accept by faith that God is greater. That some people just, if, if you just can't intellectually figure things out, then I'm, I'm just not going to submit. I'm just not going to surrender. But a relationship with Jesus requires a bit of humility and recognizing that he is great and we're not as smart as we think we are. Now, you know, and I think about some pretty smart people in the world. Uh, one guy that comes to mind as far as being learned and educated for sure is uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking. He was uh, graduated with first class honors degree in physics from University of Oxford. He began his studies at Oxford at the age of 17. He uh, has a PhD in cosmology from the University of Cambridge that he was awarded at the age of 23, he has 11 honorary doctorate degrees. University of Chicago, Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, to name a few. Okay, really smart guy. Well, in 1988, he wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. And he actually made recognition for the fact that there has to be, when he studies the cosmos as a physicist and a cosmologist, when he, when he studies the cosmos and the expanse of the universe, smart guy begins to realize all this stuff didn't just happen by chance. So in 1988, Dr. Hawking said this from his book, A Brief History of Time. He said, one can imagine that God created the universe at literally any time in the past. On the other hand, if the universe is expanding, there may be physical reasons why there had to be a beginning. One could still believe that God created the universe at the instant of the Big Bang. He could even have created it at a later time in just such a way as to make it look as though there had been a Big Bang, end quote. He's, he's making room for the fact that there has to be some acknowledgement of God in the universe. Well, unfortunately, as time went on, he got smarter and smarter, and uh, unfortunately, it began to work against him. 
because then 22 years later, he writes a book called The Grand Design in 2010, and in that book, he said this, quote, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist, it is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper, which is like a fuse or an explosive, and set the universe going. He went on further to say in an interview in 2010, he said, quote, I believe the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that, I am extremely grateful, end quote. Here's an example of somebody who's very learned, very smart, very educated, and yet seems to have regressed because the older he got, uh, the less humble he became to acknowledge the grand designer behind creation. And so this is the kind of person Jesus is talking about here. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. That the humble, those who are meek, those who humble themselves, they will understand. They will inherit the earth. Verse 27, Jesus said, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He says, come to me. This is a great verse. Many of you probably have this underlined. He says in verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was talking to an agrarian culture. These people were very familiar with the ways of farming. And Jesus here talks about being yoked, as in harnessed, to usually oxen together. And there would be usually an oxen that was more mature, leading one that kind of had to learn the ropes. And so they would plow together, they'd be harnessed together. But if you hooked up the wrong oxen with the wrong oxen, then it would just be dragging that thing along, and the big one would just be uh, uh, dragging the little one along, and it would be uncomfortable, it would be abrasive, it would be chafing, and it would just be miserable for the other oxen that was trying to learn. Jesus says, look, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, if you join yourself to me, you will find that it will not be a miserable experience, it will be a restful experience. Because when you are connected and harnessed and yoked with Jesus, you will find rest for your souls. There's nothing like being harnessed with the Lord and allow Him to lead, allow Him to teach, allow Him to guide, to direct our lives, and we will find the great measure of rest that comes from being yoked with Jesus. The invitation is to all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Chapter 12, Jesus, uh, it says this, At that time, verse 1, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And remember that there were strict laws and regulations on the Sabbath. 
not necessarily what God had imposed, but what man had imposed. The Jews began to compile a commentary on the laws of God called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah became a written compilation of commentaries on the law, which in other words would define and expand upon the law of God. The Mishnah began being compiled around the year 200 B.C., 200 years before Christ, and they finished compiling the Mishnah about 135 A.D. So for more than 300 years, rabbis and smart guys would sit around and decide, well, this is what the law of God means, and they would expound upon it in a commentary called the Mishnah. And so here come the Pharisees, and man, they are steeped in the tradition, and they are steeped in the commentaries of the Mishnah, and they say to Jesus, hey, your disciples, they're plucking heads of grain, and they would basically be as they're strolling along, and it's a Sabbath day. They're plucking heads of grain, they're rubbing it in their hands to separate the wheat from the chaff, they're blowing the chaff away, or the wind taking it away, and they're eating the kernels. But in effect, what they're saying is, you're harvesting. You're going through the grain fields and you're harvesting. That's a no-no on the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath law. And so, he answered, Jesus says, verse 3, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Now, Jesus is reminding them from their own Jewish history. Look, David went in uh, to the house of the Lord and, and he was famished, he was starving, and he took of the consecrated bread that only the priests typically could eat, but it was a matter of necessity. And they took the bread and they ate of it. And Jesus is saying, look, you know, don't, don't get so legalistic here. There was, there was a greater need that trumped the legalism. And then, he, and then he adds, and by the way, the priests, they work on the Sabbath day because they have to do their priestly duty. They, quote, desecrate the day, although they're not breaking the Sabbath law because they're doing their priestly duties. They're working. They're doing their priestly duties. And Jesus then adds, here's verse 6, I tell you that, that one greater than the temple is here. Now, here's the second comparative statement that Jesus makes. We're going to see four between chapters 11 and 12. The first one was already about how he's greater than John the Baptist because he's more than a great prophet. Here's the second one. He says that he's greater than the temple. One greater than the temple is here. In other words, he is more than a system of works and sacrifices. That Jesus came to bring grace that his message is a message of love, not of legalism. The Pharisees were still bound in a legalistic mindset. It's about rules and regulations. And they thought that by obeying the rules, it would make them more righteous before God. Jesus comes along and he says, well, one greater than the temple is here because I'm more than just a system of works and sacrifices. It's about a relationship with me. You can't become righteous by obeying rules. You become righteous by faith in me, is what Jesus is ultimately saying. That's why he's greater than the temple, because the temple represented the works and the sacrificial system. Jesus says, I'm greater than the temple. He says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice who dies on the cross for our sins. By faith, we are redeemed through him. And so he's rebuking them about their legalism and their narrow-mindedness about the law. He adds in verse 7, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, you know, I'm in charge of the Sabbath. I gave the Sabbath. So don't tell me that I'm violating the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. 
It's not about rules and regulations, ceremonial observances. It is about a moral obligation. And the need in this case was people were hungry. Now, they're going to find another incident here that they're going to accuse him of because he's also going to heal on the Sabbath. Look at verse 9. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, you, you're about to do more work. Are you going to heal this guy? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. And it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Okay, again, similar thing happening. It's the Sabbath. Your disciples can't be plucking wheat on the Sabbath. That's harvesting. And he goes into the synagogue, and they want to know. It's it's even a setup. They say, you know, you're probably thinking about healing this guy, aren't you? He's got this paralyzed hand here, and you probably want to heal him, don't you? But you know it's a Sabbath. You really can't be doing that. It's a Sabbath. And then Jesus says to them, well, you know, look, if you have a sheep and it falls into a pit, you're going to pull it out, aren't you? You're going you're to pull the sheep out of the pit, aren't you? And I remember, you know, growing up, especially my, my dad's side of the family, my, his parents, um, very particular about how the Sabbath day was spent. And uh, when we'd go over to their house on, even though Sabbath is still technically Saturday, uh, but, but in Christian terms, we recognize Sunday as a Sabbath, as a Sabbath day of rest. And so whenever we go over to the house on, on Sundays, it was, you know, sit on your hands and, uh, and don't do too much because it's, it's the Sabbath day. But I remember that there was always a line uh, among us, and it was quoting this. You know, whenever you wanted to justify something that you were doing, you're like, well, you know, the sheep fell in the pit. you got to pull it out. And it was always kind of this, this backdoor way of justifying anything we wanted to do. You know, the sheep is in the pit. we got to pull it out. Sheep's in the pit. Got to pull it out. Now, by the way, notice that Jesus says here, verse 12, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Please take note of that, because once again, when we think about the culture in which we live, you're not going to hear that. You're going to hear that the sheep are just as important as you are. Don't beat the sheep, because the sheep are special creatures. They're just as important and valuable as you are. In fact, Jesus, he also says back in chapter 10, look back in chapter 10. Oh my goodness, he says something else too that we ought to take note of. In verse 31 of chapter 10, he says, So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Oh, chapter 10, 31, you're worth more than sparrows. Chapter 12, verse 12, how much more valuable is a man than sheep? What is God saying? God is saying that people are more valuable than animals. Now think about this, because here's the world in which we live. My family and I were down in Pompano Beach, Florida last summer, and uh, we'd never been to Pompano Beach. And so we were down there, and as we're going out onto the beach, I noticed all these, what I thought were like crime scenes. Now those of you from Florida, you know what I'm talking about. I thought on the beach, there were like all these crime scenes. There were, there were uh, wooden stakes with like yellow crime tape. That, that, were, that, that marked off certain areas on the beach, and a lot of them. And, you, and there were certain places you, you can't cross. And I'm like, what in the world? How many people are dying on the beaches of Pompano Beach? 
that they'd have all these crime scenes that are taped off here, and I didn't understand. And finally, I started asking around, you know, what's with all the yellow tape and the wooden stakes here? Oh, those are the sacred marine sea turtles. Yeah. Oh, this is their natural habitat here. These are sacred creatures. And we can't violate the sacred sanctuary of the turtles. I don't know why suddenly I went Scottish for God, but they, <laughs> but it it was the mo- it was the strangest thing, and I kept looking, I kept looking in the little pits, going, I don't even see any turtles. Where are they? Oh, they could have the eggs could be buried in there. Some people have come along that have identified them as a sacred little sanctuary. You can't you can't disturb the sacred little creatures. I actually went and looked up. There is a statute, a Florida law. It's section, uh, it's called the Florida Marine Turtle Protection Act, okay? And it says that it's against the law to take, it restricts the take, possession, disturbance, mutilation, destruction, selling, transference, molestation, and harassment of marine turtles, nests, or eggs. Protection is also afforded to marine turtle habitat. You can get arrested. Now, we laugh about this because I, I think it's rather silly, to be honest with you. And I had, a, I had fun just reaching down in the sand, picking up eggs, and chucking them. No, I, did, I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. I wanted to do that. Come on, kids, let's play some baseball. Here you go. But the tragedy of this, the tragedy of this, and you know where I'm going with this, there's no yellow tape around women to protect the unborn. But we're going to make sure we mark off yellow tape on our beaches to protect turtles. Now, how bizarre and twisted is that thinking? Now, I'm not saying, you know, we shouldn't take care of God's creatures. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, protect those animals that might be on the endangered list in some way, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is, when we live in a culture where a sea turtle is more protected than a baby in a womb, we are upside down. We're twisted. And Jesus says here, look, you're more valuable than a sheep, in case you didn't know. And you're more valuable than many sparrows. He says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he heals this guy. This guy, Jesus just simply says, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. That they wanted to be technically right based on the law. You're doing work if you heal this guy. And the Mishnah said that there were some strange things. Like it said, for example, on the Sabbath, you couldn't carry more than the weight of one dried fig. If you carried more than that, the Mishnah said you were violating the Sabbath law. And I've gone over many of these. They're very peculiar. But the Mishnah says you can't spit on dirt. You can spit on a rock. But on the Sabbath, if you spit on dirt, the spitball could roll and it could plow like a little furrow in the dirt. And you'd be guilty of plowing. That's what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says that a woman could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath lest she see a gray hair and then want to pluck it and she'd be guilty of harvesting on the Sabbath. (laughs) I'm not making it up. It's what the Mishnah says. And that's the kind of legalism that they were under. So they say to Jesus, you can't heal this guy. You heal this guy, you're going to be breaking the Sabbath law. You're technically working on the Sabbath. Listen to this. They loved being right more than they were about being loving. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and 
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know